Okay. We're going to read this morning from uh, Matthew chapter 5, and Amelia is going to read for us. Thanks. Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 to 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, we ask that as we reflect on your word this morning, uh, you would open our hearts, our minds, our ears to hear what you would have to say to us personally, how you are continuing to shape us and form us with the good news of the gospel uh, at a personal level, in our family, in our church. And uh, we just invite you, Holy Spirit, to come and to form us and to shape us this morning. In Jesus' name, all God's people said. Uh, Last week I I shared that... uh, I, um, I shared on something that I said wasn't my original plan in this series, that I had a few of the like, you know, final weeks of, of this month mapped out, um, but I took a change of direction. Well, this week I'd prepared a message on the end of Matthew chapter 6, uh, and um, then on Wednesday when our team were praying, I just felt like I had to go in a different direction. So same thing again, maybe eventually I'll get to Matthew chapter 6 and the passage I'd intended to preach on two weeks in a row. Um, but I would, like, I would love to share with you something this morning um, that some of you will have heard because I shared this at a, a camp a few weeks back and uh, called Campfire. And so those, anyone who was at Campfire, I think there's just a few people, my apologies because you've already heard this majority of this before. Um, but something that's, that's, that's really on my heart and I, and I wanted to share this with you, my church family, because uh, when I shared it with some others at that camp, um, to my surprise, a lot of people said they were impacted by it and helped by it. So I thought maybe it would be helpful here. And we've been thinking about in this series living um, uh, in the kingdom and seeing God's kingdom revealed, his kingdom of light shining through in uh, the kingdom of, of darkness um, that we, we live in. And so uh, the reality of his kingdom is something we want to see, we want to experience. And uh, living in the kingdom is, a, is about being involved with what God is doing. And he's a God of light. He's a God who shines his light, as we uh, read in the, the passage about being salt and light. So what I want to share with you is, has arisen out of my own journey over the last sort of 18 months to two years in particular, um, and just what God's been doing in me, I guess. I want to suggest to you that there is a way of life that you and I have been called to. It's something that's incredibly simple and remarkably life-giving, this calling of a disciple of Jesus. Um, yet, very few people take it up, even though it's a a wonderful, simple, life-giving thing. Now, in part, that's because it's also hard. might be simple, but it's a hard calling. 
But it's also because I think we've been led to believe that this calling of, the, of a disciple of Jesus is sort of optional. It's for some people. It's for the especially gifted ones or the people who are, who are, who are wired and talented in a certain way or it's for professional Christians or whatever the case may be. Um, but it's not for me. That's kind of, I think, what we've often chosen to believe. Uh, the call of a disciple of Jesus. A, a disciple is a learner. And by the way, Martin, I'll let you know when we go to each slide. I didn't have a script for you this morning. Um, a disciple is a learner, a follower of Jesus, a student, if you like. We don't use the term disciple in our normal you know, world these days. Like, oh, what do you do? Oh, I'm a disciple of a plumber. No, we don't, you know, we don't use that language. But it's a learner, a student, a follower. Um, it's someone who walks in the steps of their rabbi. And of course, in our case, our rabbi is Jesus, not your pastor or your friend. Your, our rabbi is Jesus. And what did Jesus do? Well, lots, of course. But when it boils down to it, at the essence of what he did and what he taught his disciples to do after him was to make disciples. So we are disciples who are called to go and make disciples. And what I mean by that, and we've talked about this a bit as a church, part of our mission to be disciples who make disciples. But what I mean by it is not discipleship in the way we so often use the term, like mentoring other Christians. Nothing wrong with mentoring other Christians and being in groups and fellowship and all of that. It's all really important and all part of it. But what I mean by making disciples is walking others by the hand towards and through and into a real and personal relationship with Jesus, no matter where that person starts, where they, is right, where they are right now, walking them by the hand towards Jesus. Because when Jesus talks about being salt, for example, we know he's not talking about just being a salty person who tastes salty but is not affecting anything else. Salt is meant to make other things salty. It's made to mint your meat or your veggies or your whatever taste it. So salt is supposed to rub off on others. We're meant to make others salty too. And if we're light, we're to ensure that that light, which really is the light of Jesus, gets to others, not hide that light that we've been given by Jesus under a lampstand, under, a, 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 um, you know, under something that, that protects it. And I'm convinced that that is, more, uh, that is about more than just um, you know, um, letting our, our good deeds, so to speak, like our goodness or our or moral behaviour be shown to others. Salt making something else salty, light shedding light and helping someone others see that light, that's about a transfer of trust in Jesus from our lives to the lives of others. The passage finished talking about that others may glorify your Father in heaven, that they too would become people who now they see themselves as salt and light. And so this morning, I, I want to attempt in this short time to, I guess, convince you that the call to go and make disciples is your calling in life. But more than that, Yes, it's your calling in life. Yes, it's the assignment God has given you. But I want to encourage you that you can. That you can do it. 
that much of the effort that maybe you put into your own trying to follow Jesus or church life or being a person who's reaching out to others or loving others, that much of that effort, whilst it may, it may feel draining to you, it may feel difficult right now, I want to suggest that yes, sometimes this journey is hard, but I want to encourage you that when we live in the way of Jesus and the simple practice of Jesus in making disciples, there's humongous joy in that. It's possible. It's simple. It can sometimes be hard, but it's full of joy. This journey is full of joy. Now, we could jump in, and to do that, we could talk at length about uh, the Great Commission. We're to live the Great Commission with the Great Commandment, and the Great Commission is go and make disciples, uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teach them to do everything that I have commanded you, right? And we could talk about the fact that uh, the only imperative that's like the, the command, the thing, go and actually do this in that scripture is make disciples. Everything else is what surrounds that. As you are going, make disciples. As, you're making, so as you make disciples, you will baptize them and you'll teach them to do the same. But the, the command there is, is not anything else. It's make disciples. It all boiled down to this. But... but this command would also then, we would assume, be seen to be lived out in the scriptures that follow in his disciples once Jesus ascended in the book of Acts. And we see it all through the book of Acts. But I, I spoke about something in communion earlier that is actually where I want to focus to begin with today. To think not just about the challenge, the call, Go and make disciples. Okay, God said it, we must do it. But to think about the motivation and to think about your story, your relationship with God, and how that came to be. How has the gospel, the good news of Jesus and what he's done, changed you? The gospel is something that is it's a it's a story it's news it's a narrative it's a it's a statement it's it's all sorts of things and the gospel must always be contextualized what the gospel how the gospel will get into one person's heart depending on their worldview and their position and what their assumptions about the world and life and god and everything are how the gospel is communicated to them will be different to how the gospel is communicated to someone else so the gospel can't just be boiled down to a a a, a statement but if I was to attempt that, knowing what I know about ordinary Australians, I'd say something along the lines of, um, God created every single one of us in his image uh, out of an, an overflow of his love, Father, Heart, Son, and Holy Spirit. But because we, humanity, rebelled against him in our sin, we've been separated from this holy and loving God. However, knowing that only he could bridge the gap between us and God that we'd created, he sent Jesus... Jesus died, lived the life we couldn't live, died the death we should have died in our place for our sins so that simply by trusting in Jesus, we could come back to God through the blood of Jesus and that he would give us his spirit in our very being. He would give us his Holy Spirit, fill us with his spirit to enable us to live a life deeply connected to him, not just now, but for all eternity. So there's sort of a one-minute attempt at what the gospel is. But that's all very well. What I want to share with you is what it's meant for me. I was, as a young person, a teenager, 
insecure. I believed what others said about me. I didn't feel like I measured up to standards others put on me. But then some people showed me what Jesus was really like, and I was intrigued. And I asked Jesus to show that, to reveal that to me personally. And when he revealed the extent of his love for me, I was so blown away and completely changed that I knew all I could do was serve him for the rest of my life out of a gratitude for his love. That's what it's done for me. And so let me ask you this morning, do you have a story like that? Do you have a story like that? Has the good news of Jesus changed you? What's your story? Some of you would say yes, some of you would say no. And if you're like, oh, no, I'm not sure I have that story, Luke, I pray that this church is a place you can find a relationship with your Father God through Jesus. For those who say yes, maybe it feels like a long time ago. It's like, oh, yeah, but I was like 16, I'm now 55. Or maybe it feels like it wasn't all that significant. You know, well, yeah, but you know, I'm not really sure what difference it's made. But if you're a Christian... This is your story. You were lost and he found you. You were in darkness and he brought you into his light. You were separated from God. Now there's nothing separating you from him. That's your story. And I want to encourage you to find your words for that story. But if the gospel hasn't totally gripped your heart in a while, filled your heart with gratitude, filled your heart with wonder, then... You and I won't be motivated to go and share that news and therefore to go and make disciples, to be salt and light and to lead others to a relationship with Jesus, a transfer of our faith into their life. Um, so I want you to think about that this morning. How has the gospel changed you? How have you been transformed by the love of God in Christ? What's your story? Did you meet Jesus when you were younger? When you were older, was it dramatic? Was it more gradual and low-key? Everyone's story is different. But what's different because you now know Jesus? As you consider that and as you have maybe thought about that a bit this morning, what God's done and what, what the gospel has meant in your life, I then want to ask you a question. Do you want that for others? Let me ask you again. Do you want that for others? A few people. <laughs> As we sit with this, we go, well, actually, I do want that for others. I think that's probably most of us. If the gospel hasn't gripped us, there's probably no way we'll share. But if we truly grasp the incredible thing Jesus has done for us, we will be compelled to go and be salt and light Make others salty. Shed light on into others' lives, the light of Jesus. To be open, public with our faith and ultimately to make disciples. Now that being said, maybe part of the sort of silence and the, the, the murmuring oh, is that there's hesitations and there are setbacks in this, right? Now one of those might be, oh, not me. I'm not really an evangelist. You know, that big E word that we tend to avoid in church. Evangelist that comes from the Greek word euangelion, which just means good news, you know, to go and tell good news. It's like, oh, I don't know if that's me, right? That's more the evangelist type. Maybe someone who's more extroverted than I am, more confident with people. Another hesitation is that, well, that's all very well, but there's lots of other important stuff too. 
There's, there's, there's this and there's that and there's community and there's pastoral and there's everything else that forms part of being a Christian and church life and everything. And what about all of that? Maybe I can fit more into that role. There's also the hesitation and the, kind of the, the setback of um, doing missional, evangelistic, leading others to Jesus stuff is really hard and complicated. There's programs and there's courses and there's training you need. And we do this and we do that and we do Alpha. And, and, and I, just, I just don't have the time for all of that. I want to suggest to you, brothers and sisters, that we've believed too many lies too many lies about how complicated and difficult and, and not for me this journey really is. Because making disciples might be hard work, but it's not complicated. And so much of it boils down simply to our willingness to be salty around others and let our light shine. My journey uh, for many years was that I had told myself... It was a complicated, difficult, scary thing that I just wouldn't be good at. Now, you'd be thinking, like, hang on, Luke, you're a pastor. You should be leading the way in this. However, my problem was that I didn't have any non-Christian friends anymore. I stepped into the church and start, we started growing a family, and we've got three kids now. And so all of a sudden, in recent years, 100% of my time and my life is church and family. Church and family. I'm hanging around Christians and I'm around my family. And then other than that, I'm sleeping. That's my life, right? So what I tried to do was begin to do stuff that might help me connect with you know, people in the world, non, non-Christians who are not around church and family. So I did, we've done and some activities and programs and things and ways to meet people. One of those was I, I, I sat... Um, this is going back a few years, I sat on my front, you know, in, in the garage with a sign up saying, I'd love to make coffee for you, try to give away coffee. Most people just looked at me weird, right? We, we over here at the building, we started a toy library. A big part of that was to sort of just try and meet people and engage with people. The problem that I found, though, and the realisation I had was that I'm an extreme introvert. So it didn't really work very well. And I realised this more and more over time, that just trying to be a, you know, engage with people and meet new friends and stuff, to, it just wasn't working. Until about 18 months, when I began to understand and really internalise how Jesus and his early disciples did it. The simple approach Jesus modelled for his disciples. And this began to change my approach. And the approach is basically this. Who are the people right in front of my face that I could slowly nudge, toward, nudge towards Jesus? Who are the people in my life? Not the people out there I have to go searching for, but who are the people who are there and willing and open to a friendship with me because that might be an indication of friendship with Jesus. There actually are these people in our lives. Now, most of you aren't pastors, but you, all of you aren't pastors, but you may feel a similar issue. You have a lot of Christian friends but not many outside the church, at least people you think might be open. But you do have people. I do have people. And if you really don't have anyone you know in that, in, in, in that sort of sphere, they're not far away. And programs and activities and things aren't necessarily needed. 
to connect with those people who are not far away from you. 18 months ago, I thought, I don't know anyone. I don't have anyone who I could slowly nudge towards Jesus. Today, I can tell you about... Um, I'm going to change the names for confidentiality, but uh, uh, Peter and Andrea. And Peter and Andrea um, are um, friends of ours through a school connection. And um, I, I mentioned them recently where my wife and I were invited to their party, which was described um, as drink till you die and a massive up. And um, <laughs> I'm trying not to say anything. Uh, and um, that you know, and, and Andrea is uh, uh, deep into witchcraft and all, all sorts of things that are totally not what Karen and I are into. Um, and yet, they seem to like us as Christians, and they have some real big reservations about Christians due to the fact that um, around you know LGBTI issues and all this kind of thing. And yet, they seem to connect with us. They seem to like us. And we're just on a journey with them. I can tell you about um, uh, James and Susan, other friends of ours who are, who are sort of neighbours and friends. And um, uh, um, James's um, dad, uh, sorry, mum passed away recently. He's away dealing with all of that. So we've been trying to care for them. They're opening their friends in their relational networks to us. Um, we, we are trying to care for them. They care for us. When Karen had COVID, they dropped off all this food and everything. They just seemed to connect with us. And, and slowly but surely, little conversations about faith, we're praying and sometimes do arise. I can tell you about George, who's been in hospital a lot, who's had cancer. He's done a couple of alpha courses here. And um, I'm, George wants to get together with me once he's back on his feet again to read the Bible. He's not a Christian yet, but he wants to engage in the scriptures with me and meet week, once a week or once a fortnight to read through the Gospels and, and, just dis- and hopefully discover who Jesus is. I can tell you about uh, another couple who, um, who and the, the, the dad from, from this couple, um, a kid similar age to us, um, he, uh, his granddad was a Tongan pastor who was abusive to his kids. And so we, we had a conversation about that one time. He said, yeah, my dad protected us kids from that then. And, and I tried youth group, you know, when I was younger, but it just didn't really work for me. And of course, that, you know, history in their family has deeply shaped them. But they're beautiful people um, who we just journey with and try to love um, and connect with. And so that for me is such a shift from a few years ago. I don't know any people outside of the church. Now there's these people that my wife and I journey with slowly, surely. Um, But what changed, all that changed, if we go to, I think it's the next slide, was my uh, awareness, being aware, my approach, being intentional, about engaging with people and thinking about how, how we might be able to engage around conversations with faith and praying for them, praying really being the first one. Three practical ways I just stopped hiding my light under a bowl and started trying to be salty and bright around other people. And all I want to do this morning is encourage you to just do these three things. Jesus actually gave his disciples a very, very simple strategy. Uh, basically, partner with the Holy Spirit to look for what he called people of peace. We've talked about this at the Billabong before. Um, People of peace, you can read in Luke chapters 9 and 10. I won't go into it now for the sake of time. But in essence, they're people who like you, who listen to you, and even serve you. They might even open up their relational networks to you. Um, They're people in your life already. 
And, and as I said, it might be that friendship, openness to friendship with you might just be openness to friendship with Jesus in you. If we're letting our light shine. Uh, Jesus said, go and look for these people. They go into a town and declare peace beyond that place. And if they, if they reject it, move on. If they welcome you, stay, eat their food, stay in their houses. Look for the people who like you, who listen to you and serve you. Now, it's all very well to say, oh, well, this is the strategy Jesus gave. But surely if this is what he taught his disciples to do, this very simple thing, look for the people of peace and engage with what the Holy Spirit is doing in their lives, then surely we would then also see that in the lives of his disciples, right? That Jesus taught them to do that, so then they would do it. And we do. If you move to the book of Acts, you see this over and over again. So I want to open up quickly um, Acts chapter 13 and read the first seven verses and notice what's happening here. Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, Lucius, Menaean. Uh, so while they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they'd, they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. So notice they're praying, they're fasting, they're responding to where the Holy Spirit is nudging them and leading them. We've got the next slide. Two of them sent on their way by the Spirit, went down to Seleucia and then Cyprus and Salamis, and they keep traveling all around the place. They proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. This was the sort of place they would be welcomed, where they had connection. They were Jews. They would fit in. They would have, they would have relational connections in the Jewish synagogues as opposed to the Greek temples or something. They traveled through the whole island until they came to Paphos. And there they met a Jewish sorcerer and false prophet, prophet named Bar-Jesus who was an attendant of the proconsul, Sergius Paulus. The proconsul, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. What's amazing about this and many other examples from Acts is that they were doing what Jesus taught them to do. Now you might go, hang on a minute, Saul wasn't a disciple of Jesus. Right? Paul, we usually call him, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. He wasn't a follower of Jesus. He came to know the Lord after Jesus was ascended, appeared to him in a vision. But notice what we see here. Barnabas and Saul. Who was Barnabas? He was a disciple of Jesus. He was likely in the 72, not the 12, but in the 72. And so when we see Barnabas and Saul as opposed to Paul and Barnabas, which we read later in the scriptures, we see Barnabas first among equals, there's a reason for the order, teaching Paul, showing him, modeling to him what Jesus has modeled to Barnabas. Look for the person of peace. And this is what they do. They keep following the relational pathways in which they are connected from town to town, city to city, in the Jewish synagogues, until they find someone. At first, it doesn't look good. A Jewish sorcerer who's against them. But that guy, if you just go back to the previous slide, was an attendant of the proconsul. The proconsul, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul, next slide, because he wanted to hear the word of God. And this is kind of a summary, next slide, of what they did. They prayed, they fasted, they went as a team, the Holy Spirit spoke and they responded. 
They followed the relational pathways and when they didn't find anyone who was open to their message, they just kept looking. They just kept looking. Who's open? Who's willing? Who wants to hear this good news we have? And I just want to encourage you not to try and remember that, but to simplify even that down to those three things I said before. Next slide. To pray, to be aware of who's in your life. And then as you do that, to approach these relationships intentionally with a willingness to give an answer for the hope that you have, First Peter. To give an answer for the hope of you have. To intentionally help people move, to nudge them towards Jesus. Now, I know that this is often what scares us, right? Right? We, we have conversations about faith with people who are not in the church. What are they going to say? Is this going to ruin the friendship? Right? But if we're praying... And if we're intentionally keeping our eyes open to people who might be open to conversations about faith, we know the Holy Spirit will lead us. The Holy Spirit will create opportunities for us. Let me tell you about one failed example with the guy I called James before. I was hanging out after school at school pickup with James. And uh, I can't remember how it came up in conversation, but James said, oh, what, what, what do you do each day anyway? Are you very busy? You know, the sort of, I don't know if the typical, oh, your pastors just preach on Sunday. Um, you know, what, what do you do Monday to Friday? And um, I said something like, um, oh, well, we've got the community centre and, you know, there's a lot going on there and um, just, you know, there's maintenance issues at the moment and, uh, yeah, and we're doing this sort of start a church thing that we're working on and, you know, I'd said something like that. And afterwards, I, I was reflecting on that and I went, I missed the opportunity that God created just there. I pray for James on a regular basis. don't think I had prayed for a few days, if I'm honest. Um, but the answer I had the opportunity to share then was something more along the lines of, well, you know, um, as a pastor, my job really is to journey with a group of people who follow Jesus um, and to help them, help us, and, and, uh, and, and be on this, this journey of, of helping others discover Jesus for themselves or something like that. You know, there's plenty of things I could have said um, that were different to what I did say when, it, when the question was asked, what do you do all day? And so the, the opportunity passed, and then we moved on to talking about something else. And so then I reflected on that and went, God, help me next time to be aware and to be intentional. To be aware of what you're doing in James's life and to be intentional about moving that conversation towards him discovering Jesus. Speaking of which, I want to leave you just with a couple of practical things that, that have been so helpful for me. One is about that moving people around the conversation um, from just casual talk about the weather, which we all are good at, you know, no matter, no matter what. Um, when our friendships go a little bit deeper, obviously they become more meaningful. But the key turning point that's not always easy um, is towards things spiritual. And to be, that's where that being aware and praying comes in. What I've found helpful about this is just to be aware of where that conversation can turn towards things spiritual but also then to go, well, when things are turning in that direction, like with my friend George, who I mentioned, to go not just, well, if we're talking about spiritual things, somehow they will just get to know Jesus, but then to try and go, how can I help them discover Jesus for themselves? That might be 
through any number of ways or means, like inviting to an alpha course or something like that. But in terms of that move to discovery, one very uh, helpful question that you may want to consider, and we're going to do some stuff around this next year, how do you do this and what would this practically look like? But here's a question um, that I've, uh, as you probably worked out, managed to ask George and, um, and, uh, and you might want to consider. I'm looking for someone to read the Bible with. Don't know if you'd be interested. And however you want to phrase that is fine, but the whole, the whole idea is that people discover Jesus in his word. His word is living and active. And sitting down with someone and asking a few simple questions like what stands out for you and maybe what could, how could you apply this in your life, reading through stories in the gospel is such a powerful thing. The, the method worldwide is known as um, deep, uh, Discovery Bible Method. That's beside the point for now. But just the opportunity of, of opening God's word with someone to help them, if they're open, discover Jesus. If you've been having spiritual conversations, maybe that moved to this point. Let me tell you a quick story um, about our friend Dale and his friend uh, Muhammad. So Dale uh, is a friend of ours from Melbourne, and uh, he was getting to know this guy, Muhammad. And one day he had the opportunity to ask Muhammad, uh, hey, Muhammad, I'm looking for someone to read the Bible with. I don't know if you'd be interested. Muhammad put his hand on his heart and said, the Bible is a holy book in my culture. It would be my honour. <laughs> and so Dale and, and Muhammad read the, got together. They read the Bible. I think they opened to uh, a passage in Acts where um, uh, I think it, is it Stephen who comes along the, the Ethiopian eunuch and uh, the, the eunuch's reading uh, the scroll of Isaiah and doesn't understand what it means. And so um, it's explained to him and then they go and baptise him because he places his trust in Jesus. And there's some water there, so they baptise him. And so they read this passage and they get to the question, uh, Dale and Muhammad, you know, what, what do you think you want to do with this? And Muhammad goes, oh, I'd really love to do this with some of my friends. Could I go read the Bible with some of my friends in my kind of Arabic circles? And Dale says, sure, why not? So Muhammad gathers a bunch of his friends and they just do what Dale and Muhammad did and read that same passage because that's what he's learnt so far. And um, he said, when they get to the question, what, would you, what, what should we do with this? One of the ladies in the group says, um, I'd like to put my trust in Jesus and get baptised like the man in the story. So Muhammad baptised her. This is a true story, right? It happened in Melbourne. Um, Muhammad's not a Christian yet. Now, some of your minds are going, that's not how it's supposed to work. <laughs> but that was what Jesus did in this lady's life um, because of the power of his word to speak to our hearts. Do we believe that the scriptures are living and active and powerful to impact a life? You know, besides our own knowledge and where we're at, uh, God's word is powerful. So maybe there's someone you could, maybe you're already at that point or in the, you could keep this in mind for the future. And finally, I just want to encourage you to remember your story. To not go into this journey of making disciples and trying to share our faith and be salt and light with kind of a, like, I need a theology degree and I need to be able to explain the gospel like Luke does or like Tim Keller can or like whoever else it might be, but just to know and be able to share, even in 10 seconds or 30 seconds, your own story. I was once you know, an insecure young person who just could, didn't feel like I measured up to the expectations others had on me. But some people 
I knew, I just could see that they, they had met this person, Jesus, and I, I asked Jesus to reveal himself to me. And when he did and showed me the extent of his love, it just changed my life. And I, and I just knew from that point I wanted to serve him with the rest of my life. And then you might be able to ask him, do you have a story like that? Like I asked you before. Remember your story. Be able to just share your story simply. It doesn't have to be glamorous. It might be totally different to mine and what I've just shared. But remember your story. And so as we think about this and sit with this, I want to encourage you. I know I've gone a little bit longer today. This was originally a one-hour presentation. Um, but uh, I want to encourage you just uh, to, yes, to, to look for people, to be aware, to be intentional. But most importantly... Um, to ask you, who will you pray for? Even if it's just one person in your life who's come to mind this morning, like James or George or um, one of the others I've mentioned in my life, who will you pray for? Each and every day. doesn't have to be complicated. Just, God, um, I pray that you would draw so-and-so to your heart, to yourself today. Amen. Father, we ask that you would help us to not see this journey that you've called us to, to be disciples who make disciples as something which is overly complicated and complex and difficult and stressful, but Lord, something in which there is wonderful joy. We can find great joy and that is actually simple. Lord, that there's just an awareness you want us to have of the people around us, to pray for them and then just to ask you to help us to nudge those conversations around the square we saw towards spiritual conversations and even discovery of Jesus for themselves. I pray you'd help us in this and you would lead us by your Holy Spirit because we know we can't do it without you. But help us to remember that it's not meant to be complicated. It's meant to be simple as we just follow in the steps Jesus laid out for us. We pray in Jesus' name.